It doesn't matter whether you're new to a sport or you've been doing it for years. Most of us make a lot of the same mistakes when it comes to training. And today I just wanted to talk about six or seven, depending on how you want to do the numbering, of the most common training errors that I see when it comes to talking to people about fitness. This applies to ultra runners who are looking to get their 100 mile buckle. It also just applies to a lot of the people I see day to day in the gym looking to get a little stronger and maybe even lose a little bit of body fat. So no matter what your training or your goals are, these mistakes apply across the board. So stick around and we'll talk about some mistakes that I see and how you can fix them so that you can get the most out of your training. Welcome to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you improve your training so you can have more fun out on the trails. Today, I just want to talk about some common training errors for runners. I know it's like a Tuesday morning, but this is when I had time this week, and it's my birthday, so I'm going to do whatever I want. So we're going to talk about some common training errors for runners. I think I have like five or seven here or something. I don't know. A couple notes down here. It's a mess. We'll see what we get to and see what we end up talking about. So one of the biggest common training errors I see for runners, especially newer runners, is just signing up for a race or event like way too early. So I know a lot of people who use something like a marathon or an ultra or even like a really hilly half to try and motivate themselves to get in shape or build fitness or get back into running. And honestly, that is an insane thing to do. <laughs> like our, our races should be a test of something that we enjoy or a test of our training or just a like reason to get back with people and a community with whom you really want to spend some time. Now, this is very, this is so normal that this feels like weird talking about, but it's not normal if we look at other sports. So if we look at something like powerlifting, where you're trying to squat, bench, and deadlift as much weight as possible across the board, these are three very technical movements. You need to make sure you're not going to get injured, and you're trying to move a lot of weight, especially in proportion to your body size, right? Like this is what this is what powerlifting is. So I have never had someone come to me and say, I've never touched a barbell before, but I signed up for a powerlifting meet in three months. How can, can you help me get ready for that? That has never happened to me. I'm sure that someone has had that experience, but it's really rare. Whereas I have many people come to me saying, I haven't run ever or I haven't run in a very long time. I signed up for a marathon in four months. How do I get ready for this? When we make the comparison to the two, it's kind of nuts. Like we just really need to use races as a testing metric for your fitness or a reason to get together with people or to do, spend more time doing something you already enjoy. It shouldn't really be an incentivizer to get into a new activity, right? So this is kind of where people often make their first mistake is signing up for an event too early. Go run, 
Go see if you even enjoy running. Go run on the trails. See if you enjoy trail running. There's a lot of hills. It can be difficult. So make sure you actually like doing the activity first before you sign up for an event that is going to put a ton of pressure on you to train for that activity. Because what if you sign up? It's kind of an expensive sign-up fee, and then you like are so motivated to do it. That's great, but you train really hard for like three or four months, and then all that results in is you getting injured. That sucks, right? So let's make sure that you actually enjoy the activity, that it works well for you, that you know how you're gonna to respond to some degree to training. Like people respond differently. My body type and size and history it takes me a long time to build endurance, which is why I ran for a year and a half before I even really even considered adding a bunch of volume and signing up for something like an ultra. Whereas for some people, they're just naturally more endurance people. So they'll respond a lot faster and they might be ready for some of these longer distances a lot sooner. So see how you respond, see how you are before you sign up for a race. Let's look at mistake number two. And this is bad, using bad metrics for your workouts or training or whatever to see if it's working. Now, one is soreness. I have a conversation about soreness on a fairly regular basis. You don't need to be sore after your workout for it to have been a good workout. Soreness can be an indicator of a good workout. I like to use the, the toilet test. Can you get up and down from the toilet without it being a struggle? Great, that is how we know that we didn't like torch your legs. If you might know you worked out, great. You might not know you worked out and still be making progress from a strength perspective. I have plenty of people who rarely get sore and yet we see their strength go up week after week after week. We're making progress. You don't need to be super sore to get progress. Could we push a little harder? Maybe, but it's also possible that we're gonna get a little overtrained. So if you have the sensation like, I worked out chest two days ago. This, I noticed this happening more than I do, say, like poking my deltoid. But I don't really, like, I'm not sore. I'm not struggling to move. I'm not having any issues. I can't, like, not pick up my arm, right? So soreness, good indicator that you hit the right muscles, can be a good indicator that we're starting to create some adaptations. Excessive soreness is... A problem it is pretty good indicator of overtraining and the reason you don't want to be excessively sore is you can't do your next workout well if you hammered it so hard on Monday that you aren't even recovered by Friday and then all of your running in between or lifting in between is either painful or decreased in intensity because you just can't find the push because you're so sore then we're ending up with issues right your last workout should not be affecting your next workout and detrimentally. We need to like have that balance. So soreness, not stellar. And I see this across all sorts of metrics. So a lot of gyms, mine included, has some kind of like body scan thing. We use an in-body, another gym where I worked used an e-volts. There's also like bod pod and whatever. These things are fine. If you use them occasionally, they can give you a decent assessment of um, relative body fat. I can manipulate a couple percentage points, which means a couple pounds of body fat in the span of an hour. I've done it. Um, involved with sauna and a lot of water. But they can give you a good trend line if you use them consistently over the course of a couple months. Now, if we look at like 
Are they accurate? No. Uh, they're kind of accurate, again, in a trend line, but they can be helpful. They can be helpful tools. I rarely do these things with anybody, um, largely because we're not going to do it often enough for that to be helpful. So if you aren't taking an in-body scan at least weekly, again, I can manipulate about 3 to 5% body fat on one of these things without that much effort, like in an hour. So if you're going to take the, one of these monthly, that is so likely for you to end up with a metric that is just off the rails that is not useful. So if you're going to do one of these things, it should be at least weekly. I also don't do it because it doesn't affect anything about how I'm going to train someone, very honestly. Um, if someone's going to come to me and we're going to do some training stuff, we're going to get you stronger, I'm going to talk to you about cardio, because most of the people that I train in person are looking for like fat loss and strength. And that works the exact same whether or not you know your body fat percentage or not. So if I cannot waste 15 minutes of your time by getting a pretty spurious metric, I'm not going to do that. Um, your assessments should adjust how you train. If you're not going to use the assessment to make adjustments, then it is just a waste of your time. Right? So this is one reason like, I don't do a lot of lactate testing, for example, because I don't use a ton of heart rate. Um, we can talk about heart rate if someone's newer to running, great. But very honestly, if I'm watching your heart rate data and you're pinned at 170, I know you're too high. If you're in the 140s, you're usually pretty good. And if we get some weird heart rate data, then I might have you do like a max heart rate test. But for the most part, doing this testing doesn't affect how I would program for you, so I don't bother. I will get a mile test to see kind of what your VO2 max proxy is. I will get like a 10K test to see some level of your either critical velocity or lactate. I want to know more how far apart those are than the actual numbers. I really don't care what the actual numbers are most of the time because I don't train professional athletes. What I do care about is if you have some space to build lactate threshold. If your VO2 max and your lactate threshold are right up on top of each other, doing all the lactate training in the world isn't going to do very much, so we need to build you a buffer. So that's kind of the stuff that I do for testing, and that's how I think about testing metrics and assessments. If I'm not going to use it, then I don't do it. So next, we also see, I also see people getting stuck in like one training methodology all the time. And I talked about this briefly last time um, in regards to speed, but this can be anything, right? So I see people, even though they're both called a deadlift, a sumo deadlift and a conventional deadlift are very different. In sumo, your legs are wide, your toes are out, your knees are out. We're using a lot more like external quadricep and... Um, like vastus lateralis and glute med, we're getting a lot more of that drive. You're also using a lot more of your adductors. So people should spend time doing both. If someone came into a gym, saw two people next to each other doing a sumo deadlift and a conventional deadlift, they wouldn't think that exercise is the same. The only th reason that we kind of think they're similar is because powerlifting allows you to do your deadlift in both forms, right? So you should spend some time doing both of those from a strength perspective. Most runners need to spend more time on something like a sumo deadlift, but 
there are exceptions here. So for me, I spent a lot of time on conventional because I played a lot of lateral sports. So I needed actually more glute max drive. I also suck at hills. So I do a lot more conventional deadlift because it engages a lot more glute max. For a sumo deadlift, I put a lot of runners through that because we end up preventing things like high hamstring tendinopathy and we can keep a lot more balance in the running stride because if you've mostly been running and haven't done a lot of lifting, then you're usually glute med deficient, right? So this is kind of the way that we might think about lifting and periodization and all this stuff. We see the same thing from a running perspective where a lot of people just get in this low and slow zone, really enjoy it, and then ride through it forever. Whereas we need to do some speed training. We need to do some strides. Hell, you might take a couple months off and go skiing or do Nordic or do some gravel biking somewhat to get a different um, adaptation for your body and sometimes just for a mental break. But people get stuck in this one training methodology all the time and then they plateau and then we don't see any progress and they get tired because one, they're not seeing any progress and two, they've just been doing the same thing. So let's try not to get stuck. That's one big mistake I see across like all realms of training. We get used to doing the thing that we do. We find something we like, we end up in this rhythm and then we don't really know how to break it. Cool. Next, thinking more is better is a big issue because it's just, it's not always better. For example, more, more strides, more VO2 work is not better. Um, that stuff is really stressful on the body, so don't do a ton of it. It takes you a couple weeks to like fully recover from these like long, intense VO2 workouts. So we shouldn't be doing a bunch of them. In fact, we should do like a periodized block so the adaptations kind of stack and then occasionally stimulate them for the rest of the rest of your training cycle. We are not looking to push a ton of volume on lifting as a runner. You might need once, twice a week. Um, twice is, pardon me, probably a lot better because of the way your muscles repair. But depending on which training cycle you're in from a running perspective, you might only be lifting once a week, or you might be doing like 10 minutes a day of these little micro workouts, right? There's not, an always, you don't always need to do more. There is something to be said for volume is king. So if we're looking at building muscle, volume is the most important thing. If we're looking at building endurance, volume is the most important thing. But we can't go from zero to 100 miles a week and expect not to get injured. Volume is the most important over time. But if you push so much volume in the short term that you end up injured and your volume is decreased in the long term, you're being counterproductive. So we need to slowly build into what you need. Listen to your body, which I realize is a really hard thing most of the time, and then we can go from there. But more is not always better. The right amount is better. And the right amount is going to be different from person to person, somewhat depending on you, history, genetics, um, strength, all sorts of stuff, and then your um, goals as well. So on the goal front, uh, another error I see is like misaligning your goals with your life. If you have three kids and um, y'all are pregnant and you have work 50 hours a week in a really stressful job and like pick all the things, right? If, if your 
busy with like 120 hours of things to do every week, maybe training for a 100 miler right now is just not in the cards. Or you need to give it a lot more lead time. So instead of choosing 100 that you want to do in three months, maybe choose 100 you want to do in nine months so that you can slowly build and slowly accrue that's this volume over time so that you're not so stressed about it. Now, if your life is exploding and you have a race you want to do in three months, maybe you need to have a talk with yourself and say that this just isn't realistic right now. I have a lot of other stuff to do. All of this stuff is more important to me than running. I, I need to pay my bills. I need to take care of my family. Uh, I need to be there for my partner, etc. Like if that's where you are in your life, that's okay. And it doesn't mean you can't do said race depending on your background. It does mean you're probably not going to have your best training cycle. And if you're trying to build something you've never done before, now might not be the time. There's a saying in the, like, many different industries that there's never a good time, which is true. Like, stuff is always there. You're always going to have stuff to do. There's never, like, this neat, perfect space where you have nothing to do and everything's okay. And, like, you can only really focus on training. That's just, that's a fool's errand to, like, look for that space for most people. However, there are definitely worse times. Like... If you're going through a divorce and a death and you have a bunch of kids or like if you're whatever, like we can all realize these times where sometimes our stress is like above our normal level. Even in our very stressed lives, there are worse times. So try to align your goals with your life and have some realistic expectation for what you can actually do. Because if you... Say that you have eight hours a week to train and then you keep going through and you keep missing workouts and you keep struggling and you keep missing the benchmarks. Like, that's just defeating. You're, like, asking yourself to get frustrated and defeated. So be honest. Like, that's it. Just be honest with yourself about what you can actually achieve on a weekly basis. Which brings me to, like, a complete, like, lack of training that makes sense because like training needs to fit your fit your week and I think when we think about running a hundred miler we hear about these like large training volumes of people like Walmsley or we think that you need to be running like 10 to 15 hours a week which you might have a couple weeks like that if you're trying to run a hundred miler your peak week or two is probably going to be in the 10 to 12 hour range if we're being very honest However, this does not mean that your entire training cycle is 10 to 12 hours. Most of it is probably going to be in the 4 to 5 range, because if, especially if you're doing speed work appropriately, and we can split that up in a thousand different ways. So we can figure out your speed work, your strength work can honestly be done at home most of the time for a lot of people. Um, if we look at um, your, your build like, we're going to slowly build from this, like, five to six hour range and then come up and then we're going to have some deloads. Like, you don't need 10 to 15 hours for six months, but we should know that you're going to need probably 10 hours a week for at least a few weeks about a month out from your race, right? This is the thing you should expect. So we need to know how to periodize to get ourselves 
one, from a scheduling perspective, and then two, to actually have your body do what it's supposed to do. If you just throw random stuff at your body, it's not really going to adapt very well, partially because it takes most people, myself included, a workout or two to even like get in the right headspace of what you're trying to achieve. If we're going to look at something like a VO2 max workout, or I don't know what you want to call it, but these like three minutes on, three minutes off, like Coop calls them VO2 max workouts, the Roach calls them like extended power production, I don't care. Like it's stimulating your VO2 max and it's stimulating your like speed and power production. This is what, what these are. And they're very important workouts for all runners um, as long as we schedule them appropriately. And the way to really do that is going to be in four to six months out, do a block of this for like four to five weeks. I think most people should do it once a week and then a slightly different stimulator on the long run for the weekend. But we can also do this like two or three times a week if you're a really high-level professional athlete who has nothing to do but train and recover, right? So this is kind of where your balance is. Now, if we look at what we, where we go from there, like I tend to put people through more of this like 10K pace critical velocity work because that'd be our next benchmark from a physiological perspective. That said, we're not completely getting rid of the VO2 stuff. And this is where most people mess up with periodization. You occasionally stimulate it. We see this in the weight room too. If you're lifting, we want to like have this heavy block far away from your race. And then as we go through the next few months, you're going to occasionally see some heavy stimulation to get that central nervous system or like stimulate the central nervous system and maintain the gains you've built. Because if you do something for like a month, month and a half, it doesn't matter how effective it was. If you don't touch it again for another four months, you will lose a lot of that adaptation. Now, you have to expect to lose some of the adaptation. Typically, as professional runners get closer to race day, their VO2 actually drops professional like long distance marathon plus runners, their VO2 actually drops. This is often because they're building so much volume, they're not really stimulating the VO2 from all pathways, right? So you're going to lose some of this maximum oxygen that you can absorb, but you become so efficient at using other stuff that that's okay. It's not a huge drop off. So we have to realize that there's going to be a little give and take with periodization and part of the like art of getting ourselves to peak on race day is actually periodizing in a way where we build everything and then have as little drop off as possible along the way. And I think periodizing is where I see most, like a lot of people go wrong. It's almost like workouts are random from a lot of like, let's just use chat GPT because I'm not going to offend anybody. So a bunch of people used chat GPT to invent a, like a marathon plan and see what it looked like. And there were a bunch of them. <laughs> and while they, like, on the surface looked, they looked fine. Uh, kind of a few days of running, a day off, maybe a day of cross training. Uh, almost never was there any mention of strength training. And then, like, a long run on the weekend. Great. Um, it was garbage. The workouts, if they existed, were completely random. There was, like, no target towards anything. And then the long run was, like, this just slow progressive build week after week on time with no like deloads, no adjustments, no anything. And amusingly enough, when you see this like chat GPT program and you compare it to a lot of the, especially free programs out there on the internet for running, 
it looked the same, which, which is where it got it from, because it just synthesizes information. So we need to actually have some intention with our workouts, or else you're just going out there and hammering yourself for no reason. And if you're going to do that, no shade on CrossFit, but that's kind of their whole bag. They do random workouts, they push it hard, They're depending on the gym, like they'll have a skills class, but then their workouts are like very targeted to just be a good workout. And if that's what you're looking for, consider CrossFit. Let's not con maybe consider like calling it training for an ultra. Now, last thing that I see people mess up all the time in really every frame of life, um, but not doing the boring work. So for some people, and boring is different for different people. Um, for me, my boring work is like from a business perspective, social media stuff, uh, and then it is mobility stuff from a training perspective. I find mobility work really boring, so I don't do a lot of it. I'm getting a lot better. Uh, I've learned to integrate it with my day. I do it almost every day now, but it took me a long time because I find it incredibly boring. Um, there's a lot of people who would be the complete opposite, where they might be yogis, and they love yoga, and they find stretching really interesting, and they have no issue with doing that on a daily basis. But they find weightlifting hard and or boring in a way that just sucks. Um, it doesn't really matter what it is for you, but there's going to be something that is probably boring to you that makes a huge difference, be that planning your hydration, um, doing a little bit of mobility, doing base building, just slow runs week after week, it's going to be very dependent on the person. But you need to do the boring work that gets you there. Not all effective training is this interesting, exciting, like hammering workouts or like going to disappear in the mountains for five days. Like sometimes it is just doing very simple math on a napkin to figure out how much food you need to intake per hour and how to get it. And that should take you 10 minutes, and yet that is the kind of thing that people miss more than anything else, because it's just not that interesting. Looking at all of your um, goos and gels and powders and whatever, and figuring out how many calories are in a scoop, and then doing the basic math to figure out how much of that you need per hour, kind of boring. It's kind of boring. But considering most people end up with gut issues because they like have no idea how much food and fluid they're intaking, per hour on race day kind of matters. So figure out what that boring thing is for you that you've been avoiding, and then let's kind of move through that and just do it anyway, because it usually doesn't take that long. So just a short recap. Um, thank you all for watching, for anybody who's been here. And uh, I think I ended up with seven things that people tend to mess up. One is just signing for a race too early. So a race should be like more of a testing metric of something you already enjoy or something you've been training for. Yes, I realize sometimes we have to sign up for races in advance, but if you're starting a new activity, signing up for a race is not necessarily a good way to get into that activity. Instead, it's usually just a good way to get injured. Using bad metrics for testing is number two. So that can be soreness. It can be your mile time when you're an ultra runner. It can be like in-body scans if you're working on fat loss. But these metrics, one should actually be accurate, or accurate-ish, and then two, they should actually influence how you program. So if your metric is not influencing how you program, why are we taking it? Three, it's getting stuck in one training methodology, i.e. if you want to get faster, you need to get 
you need to spend time going faster rather than just going low and slow. If you are a power lifter, you probably need to do a little bit of bodybuilding training because building some muscle mass actually helps you get stronger and vice versa. Most professional bodybuilders who win do a powerlifting cycle every year. So like appreciate that there's other tra training methodologies that are helpful even if it's slightly outside of the scope of what you're doing. Four is thinking more is better. So more is not better, the right amount is better. And yes, we have this whole thing about volume where volume is kind of paramount from a training perspective, but that doesn't mean that you just get to throw volume on infinitely. You have to be able to recover from it and we have to find the amount that works for you and what you're looking for. Um, five was misaligning goals with your life. So maybe your life is a mess right now. Maybe big goals, just not the time. And again, I realize that there is no perfect time to do anything, but there's definitely a horrendously bad time to do something. So realize that if you're super stressed and busy and a lot of people are relying on you and you just don't have time to train, then you don't have time to train. So let's keep that balance, right? And then last, and this is sort of realizing an add-on to number um, three, but it's like we need to periodize our training properly. So this kind of gets into getting stuck in one training methodology thing, but you need to have some points where you specifically target different adaptations you're trying to create. Part of it is that tends to work better. And two, or the other part is like focus. Like if you know that the next few weeks are going to be really heavy lifting weeks, then you're gonna be able to get in that headspace for heavy lifting a lot easier than if you're trying to do a little bit of that um, every couple days. Same from a running thing. If you know that every Wednesday is like workout Wednesday and for the next four weeks, your workout Wednesday is send it hard for three minutes so that we can get a VO2 adaptation or a power adaptation. Great. And you know that. We're not trying to like dial in that pacing or that feeling or how your body feels from a rate of perceived exertion perspective. And we're not trying to make this constant adjustment from like how hard a VO2 interval should feel versus like how hard a lactate interval should feel because they're really different. And if we are like, hey, this Wednesday is this, and this next Wednesday is this, and then this like Thursday randomly is this completely other thing, that can be really hard because the first like 30 seconds of a VO2 interval, the last three minutes should be very different from something like the first 30 seconds of a lactate interval at a pace where you could roll for 45 minutes. And yet, if it is your workout, in quotes, for the week, then maybe you end up pushing too hard or too easy on one of those because you're just not right in the right headspace. So that is another reason that we need to periodize. And then number seven was not doing the boring work. This is the thing I probably see more than anything else. Like sometimes you just don't know what you need to do. And then a lot of the time you absolutely know what you need to do, but you find it boring and you're just not willing to do it. So like take the, take the 10 minutes or whatever it is to do the stuff that you know you need to do but aren't doing because you don't find it interesting. Anyway, those are seven things that I like often see as training errors for people, both like new and old runners alike. Um, that lasted longer than I thought. It was almost a, we're over a half hour now. I have to get to work here soon. So I hope you have a great rest of your day and I will be back with another one of these shortly. Have a good one.
Thank you for listening to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Podcast. Honestly, I'm still surprised and honored that anybody wants to hear what I have to say, so thank you. To be clear, not a doctor, nor a registered dietitian, or any other kind of medical professional. I'm a personal trainer, a nutrition coach, and a running coach, and I have a passion for training trail runners. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training or nutrition program. If you enjoyed the podcast or found it helpful, please take a second to leave a rating or review. I'd really appreciate it. Or you could just share it with someone for whom you think it might be helpful. I make these kinds of things in order to provide more quality, free resources to people. So the more people who hear it, the better. If you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Group on Facebook, where we discuss all aspects of training so you can have more fun doing the sport that you love. Thank you again for listening.